0: Where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection, they all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman, on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: In this episode, Ronnie and I visit with Corey McDonald. She is a Learning Manager of Ethics and Compliance at Starbucks. We take a look at the creativity in the Starbucks Learning and Communications Program around compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox and Ronnie Feltman back for another episode of Creativity and Compliance. And today, you're in for a real treat because we have a special guest, Corey McDonald, Learning Manager, Ethics and Compliance at Starbucks. Starbucks has developed a creative storytelling series with Ronnie, and she and Ronnie and I are going to talk about this. So first of all, for that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome, Corey.
0: Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) And of course, welcome. Welcome, Ronnie. Oh, great. I get a, I get an actual welcome. Thanks, Tom.
0: You're part of this, too.
1: <laughs> so, Corey, if we could start with you, perhaps you could give us a quick overview of the Starbucks Ethics and Compliance Program and maybe a little focus on your current role.
0: Uh, I've been with Ethics and Compliance at Starbucks for about 18 months now, but the program's been in place for much longer than that. Um, I, I want to say at least 10-something years, if not more. Um, but my position is relatively new. So what I do as a learning manager is I help with the design and implementation of the training curriculum and strategy, as well as create content. So uh, I will create the training that goes out to partners. That's how we refer to our employees as partners. Um, I'll help develop the strategy with my coworker, Joanna, who Ronnie is very familiar with. And then we will also communicate that broadly. So we find different ways of communicating with our partners, typically through intranet, email, that kind of thing.
2: The uh, I, When I first met the Starbucks team, um, we started talking about like where you were with your program, and it seemed like it was a fairly mature program. And uh, the phrase that stuck out to me was, that they, uh, you all said, we want to show up uh, grander and louder, which I thought was a real fun way of saying that. Um just curious if you had uh, um, other thoughts on like, sort of your point of view on how you wanted to try and um, uh, change the way you guys come across.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you're familiar, ethics and compliance training, it's kind of been in the same structure, the same form, the same modality for – eons, right? It's, it's been that way for a very long time, but we kind of have a internal mission statement at that we're looking to innovate, elevate, and educate. And so we're taking it and what is nowadays is is great, but like, what can we do more? What can we do differently? How can we engage our partners in different ways? How can we meet them where they are? Because not everybody is on email, but a lot of people are on social media. So how can we, you know, show up that way? And also how can we take training and just make it a little bit different? And I think that's honestly been one of the things that I've always been really interested in throughout my learning journey, because I've been doing uh, some form of instructional design for at least, I want to say nine years now before working with Starbucks. I was at another company doing a very similar kind of approach and it was still just, how are we going to do things differently? How are we going to engage people differently? And how do we get them to pay attention in a way that they may not have before?
2: Yeah, I dig that. Because like, I, I, the way I think about it is no matter where you are with the maturity level of your program, if you're still at an early stage, you have to get on the radar, right? You have to say, like, here's who we are. Here's how we, you know, what, what are we're about. We're here to help you. I <laughs> always, we, we always talk about, like, re, you know, branding or rebranding around the idea that, you're trying to help everybody, and they, they don't always know that.
0: Well, and they're not the police, you know, and that's exactly it.
2: Sorry, I interrupted you. They have the, you know, the image of the finger-waggy police force, right? And, and it's like, no, that's not yeah. what we're, we're about. We're trying to help you.
0: Absolutely. And so just taking it and trying to look at it and have people view ethics and compliance in a different way Um because of the fact that all it is is can be negative association and negative um, connotations. And, you know, the only way you hear about ethics is in compliance is somebody shows up to investigate. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And so how can we do that differently? How can we show partners that ethics and compliance should be at every step of their journey, not only when they get hired on and they do code of conduct and not only on an annual basis either, but it should be something that they are living and breathing. And I mean, if you know Starbucks, you know that we have a mission statement and it's been, it's super integral to our history and everything that our partners and our customers believe in is related to our mission statement. And it's always about doing the right thing, you know, and it's, it's, inspire and nurture the human spirit, one cup, one person, one neighborhood at a time. I'm probably mixing it up a little bit because I don't have it memorized. But how do you do that along those same lines of an ethics statement? How can we be part of that mission and values in an ethical point of view? And so, you know, we've been looking at it from that standpoint of let's weave that into every part of their day-to-day action, because that way, when ethics and compliance needs to be involved, it's not this big, scary boogeyman that they're afraid of. It's something of oh, they're helping me make the right decisions. They're helping me when something doesn't feel right, and they're helping me f- do my job in a way that best serves the mission and values.
2: Well, like I was starting to say, like you know, you first you have to sort of get on the radar, and it sounds like you all have done a nice job of. Being on their radar and uh, uh, sort of weaving it into that values based program versus rules based. Um, so then the challenge become, becomes how do you continually reinvent yourself? Like they always say, the old wine and new bottles, or is that, yeah, that's right, old wine and new bottles. So, uh, uh, right, because it's the idea of like, all right, you've said this message, so how do you say it in a fresh way so they don't tune <laughs> it out? Um, so, is that sort of like the phase where you guys are at? Because that sound about right.
0: Yeah. And actually, you know, like I said, I've been on this team for a very short time. But when I was going through the interview process, Joanna, my coworker, who you know, Ronnie, actually said, How do you do things in a way that you have to do a particular topic every year? And you know, you have to do it every year. How can you do it differently and have it stand out from the year before? And I, kind of was like, that's an excellent question, but I think that's exactly part of the challenge, and that's what's exciting about being in the position that I'm in, is looking at it from the approach of How do we do it differently? What can we do a little bit different? And maybe it's taking out the huge chunks of content that our learners have to go through, which do you really think they're actually stopping and reading it? More often than not, no. So how else can we get them to think about these things where they're not just scrolling through page after page after page of legal speak? Let's be honest. These policies are written in legalese. Yeah. And so they're not necessarily from a layman's perspective. So we need to take something that's very technical, very legal-driven, very a lot of jargon, and break it down into a more manageable, understandable, and relevant kind of situation. Because I think that's also part of it is Mm -hmm. a lot of scenarios that are built into pre-existing trainings have one of two things. First of all, it is pretty obvious what the right answer should be. Secondly, it's a partner is going to say, well, that doesn't happen to me. (laughs) I don't deal with third-party engagement. I don't deal with suppliers. I'm a barista working in a store where I just experienced my manager grabbing somebody's – I'm not going to say the word, but you can infer what I'm saying – If that's the situation and the the scenario that we're giving them doesn't apply, we need to readjust our scenarios and we need to to really look and see what are the kind of situations that are happening at the audience level and adjust our training accordingly.
2: So it's so great. I'm sitting here of two minds right now like uh, uh – you say, you say this so eloquently. I'm one mind is like, there's some things that I, I wanted to talk about and I'm like, gosh, oh, we even talk about that or should I just sort of keep following your, lead? let's follow your lead. <laughs> so tell me some of the, I'm going to put my, uh, my, my script of questions away for a second and just ask you this. Uh, so what are some of the things that you're doing differently this, uh, this past year to, you know, uh, uh, to try and get away from that long check the box, road training, get more relevant, get, uh, tighter and smaller around how you communicate? Um, what are some of the things that you're doing?
0: Actually, you it's a really great tie-in because one of the things that we did in our most recent trainings is we went with our investigators and we pulled real-life situations that we were able to get and they were sanitized and they were a little bit cleaned up. But then we were able to work with you and kind of take that in, make that a more... Informational, entertaining, and uh, not necessarily so obvious. And, you know, let's make it a little bit more lighthearted because, again, some of these topics can be kind of heavy, but they're also great for starting dialogue. Um, And so we were Mm -hmm. able to use some of those scenarios in our trainings and then really fine-tune it of, we're not going to have them spend a ton of time scrolling through content. We treated these more like refresher courses. So it was, you know what the proper procedure should be. Here's a video that talks about why it's important. And here, we're going to have you acknowledge the policies and standards. Again, we at least know that acknowledging it helps, you know, send that from a completion and a legal standpoint. We've got tracking that they at least acknowledged it. And this year, you know, the past year, 2020 – our fiscal year 2020, we did a refresher course. And then in 2021, we can kind of go back and start over and do more of an in-depth, deeper dive kind of course. And so that's actually part of the strategy that we've implemented. And we found that strategy through benchmarking. We benchmarked with a lot of companies and found that there were different ways to kind of engage audiences year after year that wasn't the same thing every time so maybe it's a refresher versus a full deep dive um we've also started to explore ai options and things like that and test out courses and so we're really excited to kind of look at different ways That is also going to make it easier for the learner. We're finding that the learner really appreciates it when we take those steps and say, we know that you know these answers. We know that you know the right thing to do. So here's a test out question for you. And if you score high enough, we're not going to make you sit through all the content. We're going to move you to the next section. Or maybe you didn't score as high, and that's the area that we really need to focus on for you, Ronnie, the learner, versus for Corey, the learner, because I scored maybe better in both of those sections. So, again, kind of a high-level overview of what we're trying to do, but looking at it from... Let's try things. It's really great because um, we have a new uh, chief ethics and compliance officer. He's been enrolled probably as long as I have in this, so about 18 months. But he is also the mindset of, look, let's give it a shot. What's the harm? And it's so exciting.
2: I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much because uh, ethics compliance professionals tend to be risk averse for a variety of reasons, the nature of where they come up from in your organizations, um, and also the you know you're managing risk, so it tends to be you know a risk averse group of people. uh, But I sometimes think that works against us uh, as a as a community because we're so worried about doing things that uh, might not work and there's limited budget and all that stuff that that what happens I think is often is we talk ourselves out of trying these things because we're afraid we're afraid of failure of it not getting results where I think the of of perhaps a more enlightened attitude is to try lots and lots of different things lots of little things so that all your eggs aren't in one basket and you have the added benefit of surprising Mm -hmm. your audience because they don't know what's coming next. Like, I get that there's like brand standards and things want to be consistent, but sometimes I think that works against us too. Because you want to surprise people. Absolutely. You, don't, you want things to stand out. It's it's pretty it's pretty great. Um, the whole attitude about it.
1: You said something a little bit earlier that really intrigued me, and I'm going to see if I can translate it into compliance speak. Uh, you okay. uh, through continuous monitoring of both uh, reports, information that comes in to ENC, and even benchmarking, utilize that information to change your uh, training modules, your communications, and your ongoing communications. Uh, Did I get that part right? So that is a very innovative approach Mm -hmm. to, uh, I wouldn't even say training. I would just use Ronnie's term, it's all communications. The second thing I really was interested in is Ronnie and I are not millennials, um, and your workforce is a uh, large part millennial <laughs> or uh, Gen Zers. Um, and so I was wondering, how do you that think through or approach your t- your mm-hmm. messaging for someone who could be, you know, perhaps as young as sixteen or? anywhere above that. How, how do you think through that type of communication strategy?
0: Absolutely. And that's a really great question. And it's actually something we're still trying to figure out, to be perfectly honest. I don't think we've hit the sweet spot yet, Um, but you're absolutely right. And like I said before, you know, is our CECO in his prior job loved utilizing email to his leaders and to all of his employees and in regards to his ethics and compliance messaging. But A lot of our partners, especially down at the barista level, don't have email. They aren't at that level where they don't receive email, but they are on social media, right? And so we have an internal social media that we use. It's Workplace by Facebook, and I will say that because we are with them. But we've been really trying to push messaging on that platform because that's where we know people are going. And actually, if anything has taught us the relevance of it has been the shutdown is because as people are craving connection, they're going to Facebook, they're going to workplace, and they're engaging more there. And so that's where we're really seizing on that opportunity to increase our messaging. Um, So we've been doing a lot more of our communication there. And actually we've been using a lot of the videos too. So a really great example is our standards of business conduct refresher course. We use the video, uh, can you hear me now? So Ronnie's is really familiar with that one. And it was all about a character named Amrita and the experiences that she was going through at her job. We launched the course but we needed to have some sort of communication and some sort of messaging about that. So we took the video and we clipped a very small part of it. I would say it was less than 30 seconds, but it was talking about the lengths that Amrita would go to to hide her voice when she called Ethics and Compliance Helpline. And so we showed that little video and then our follow-up to the message was, what will Amrita do next? Go take your training and find out. And it was just short and sweet, but a little bit of a teaser and we actually got some feedback on workplace as well going, this was actually really interesting. Uh, One of the pieces of feedback and I'm going to paraphrase because again, I don't have it in front of me. It was a district manager. So a partner at the store level who works in the districts and manages store managers and about, you know, said, Hey, whoever did this training, I want you to know this video was hilarious. I went back and watched it twice.
2: That's amazing, right? And it's about it's about uh, of anti retaliation and speaking up.
0: Yeah, amazing. And so that was you should have seen how excited we were when that feedback started to come in because it was this is working, this is going. And then it was just driving more dialogue and more feedback. And so we were engaging and we were responding like community managers do typically, you know, that you see on a lot of social media. And so we've been continuing to push that uh, teaser concept. We did a couple, um, our conflicts of interest one, we did another video. It was the uh, Pierre that's right. That's right. That's what it was. And so we built it as like a meme and we pulled out uh, one of the lines from the training, which was something having to do with, oh, uh, I'm going to again parap- paraphrase, but it's kind of like the getting to know you phase of dating, except this is about business and way less creepy. So we posted that and we did it like a meme. And that was just the screenshot from the video. And we added the the text. And again, similar kind of thing where Oh, Pierre, what are you going to do next? Go check out your training and see what happens. And so just that same kind of branding. Um, And it's, again, creating a lot of dialogue on our social media, and people are finding it really funny. We did one, actually, another course that we just did. Regarding communicating safely. So, using good judgment when you're sending emails or engaging with third parties, even posting to social media or um, Teams, Microsoft Teams is, you know, obviously had a huge rise in use. And so, wanting to make sure that when you're chatting with your fellow coworkers or you're talking with people, maybe as we start to revisit going to bars or getting coffee, you know, being careful of who you, you, who your surroundings and what you're saying, because you never know who might be listening. And one partner actually had shared a story of something similar to him. And he shared it on our workplace page to talk about his experience. And then somebody else chimed in and it was, again, just trying to see this really natural conversation evolve was really cool.
2: So let me, uh, I- so many uh, questions uh, so let me just make sure for the audience <laughs> who's less familiar with what we're talking about let me do a quick recap of a couple of things and i have a, a couple questions for you so um uh-huh. some of the videos we're talking about this refresher training so what they were were storytelling videos uh and i love the idea um of pulling real stories that aren't necessarily like uh a, a clear right and wrong answer but it's like a, a fun story about a very serious thing so back to your point and just sort of recapping Corey we, we made several stories yep. together um mm-hmm. to to sort of weave like here's what happened these people were doing this they didn't think about this and if they were doing that that would be like doing this but there was these other resources but they didn't know about the resource so we sort of like weaved it exactly up. um so anyway, mm-hmm. that's the, the videos that we're talking about, the refresher training, that they are uh, can be used within a course in the way you would a scenario-based training, but they also could be used for these sort of discussion points.
1: Corey, you said exactly. something else that I thought was, uh, I think it's incredibly important. Um, you You have talked about the employees engaging on social media. You have not talked about the employees contacting the ethics and compliance department. And that seems to me... To be perhaps the most powerful communications that you can have is when you have employees engaging with mm-hmm. each other, obviously in person, but in the last year on social media. And that is, Ronnie and I do a fair number of these, and we rarely hear about a company that gets employees engaging with each, each other's employees. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about, well, we've got engagement with, uh, you know, we've seen a spike in calls, communications with ethics and compliance. We don't hear about, wow, the employees are engaging with each other about these communications. And, and that really is a level, uh, I think, that is just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, again, It all depends on who has access, because again, our baristas and that level don't necessarily have access to our intranet because of their permission. So it is a little bit higher level. So that's also really important too, is that the messaging is coming from manager and above, you know? And so we talk about tone from the top, and so we've got a lot of it also where our C E C O was posting messaging. To our intranet and to our workplace. And then we can see people engaging with him there. And that's been also really, really important too, is because we want to stress that message from the top, um, because that's really where it's so important to have that tone from the top, the importance of managers getting involved. And we've also had senior leaders repost a lot of our messaging too, which has also been really exciting because we see that, you know, they have the little groups within our workplace, depending on what organization you belong to in the greater org. Uh, But then also, you know, our CECO has been doing great Uh, messaging on a monthly basis too. We call it our extra shot of ethics. And so he chooses a particular topic and he writes a a monthly letter and that goes to leaders. And then we encourage those leaders to share that messaging down as well, because that's the best way to get it uh, distributed and disseminated is to kind of have it be shared by the leader as well.
2: So I want to break down uh, just some of the the mechanics of what you said, uh, workplace by Facebook, and um, I, from previous discussions, I know that you sort of have a little bit of a hub and spoke kind of methodology to it, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but so you're you're putting little teaser clips and memes, right, in in there, mm-hmm. and those have their own messaging to it, so people can congregate around those on the social media site, correct? But, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, cool. And then if they click, it takes them to watch the video. And then where's the video housed? Is it, uh,
0: so the video right now, and actually that's a really great segue is to talk about is we do have an ethics and compliance. What we refer to as our hub page. So Mm -hmm. kind of like, again, our, um, overarching, here's where you can find, uh, everything about ethics and compliance. Here's a link to our helpline. Here's a link to our ethics advisors. And that's, you know, specialized within different departments. And they are people that will help guide partners to making the right call, be it ethics and compliance, be it human resources, depending on what the situation is. They kind of help navigate those kind of sticky situations. We're looking to do like almost a rebranding of that hub page where we can keep the videos and the memes and kind of keep it in a, a bigger repository where we can direct partners back. So, again, workplace tends to be a lot of place where people are congregating just from a social aspect, but then we can also link back to our hub page within those posts as well.
2: Well, I, and I'm glad you elaborated on that because I think um... – A couple thoughts here. So the nice thing about these social collaboration sites like Slack, Yammer, Teams has this function, um, uh, Jive. uh, Any of these things are designed for people to congregate around an issue, but ethics compliance often does not get access to these or doesn't use them. And I would argue it's because you're pushing out things that aren't fun or, you know, like there's not things that people want. Yeah, right they don't it's want
1: true. To Uncomfortable. So, uh, yeah.
2: it's mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. of the reasons i mean uh, that that i am such a big proponent of entertainment even around these serious subjects because it gets an audience um in a way and it gives you access to a channel that you may not have been able to use so this is a great example of you pushing out some interesting stimulus um that has the benefit of of people commenting on the little meme or the little teaser so you have the that, that engagement mm-hmm. level and then driving traffic to the place that has the fun thing and the serious things.
0: And either it's, right? you know, we so, can link to yeah. our policy library or we can link to our LMS where they can go and log in and take the training. So we've been doing a lot of linking within the posts. And then again, my push is to yeah. really, I've been driving this, let's do a rebrand. Let's do everything that we can to kind of drive the traffic to our site. Um, my boss len gets a report of the metrics and so we can see how many partners are going to our ethics and compliance site and we're like number 17 out of i don't know how many i'd like to get us up there because i think the only time people go to find ethics and compliance site is when they need to report something typically Let's have it be where yeah. they go there for everything. They go there for training information. They go there for the reporting, you know, link to the reporting site. Or they just go there to see, hey, what's the latest from the CECL? Because that can be, again, a place where everything ethics and compliance related is kept there. It doesn't just have to be, how do I get to the reporting
2: information? Well, so a couple, couple thoughts there. This is great. Uh, one is the measurement. So, Uh, I actually had an an old friend. I I did a whole podcast on measurement and a friend called me up and he said, I listen to your podcast. and I didn't agree with you (laughs) (laughs) uh, because I was ranting on the idea of like you don't have to necessarily do the annual trackable training um, that people Mm -hmm. do it as a default. But the point I was trying to make, maybe I didn't do so well, was that sort of what you're talking about. There are other ways to track engagement. There's other ways to track and measure that people are aware of policies and resources. And what you're describing is, is one of them, how many people mm-hmm. access the site, how many people, uh, and how has that changed over time? Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. But I think, yeah, you know, and that goes back to like a lot of the DOJ guidance too, is, um, how do you build a defensible training program? I actually just, you know, watched a, uh, session on the global Ethics Summit. Uh, couple, Uh like two weeks ago now. And that is actually one of the things that we're trying to find that magic answer is how do you prove the effectiveness of your training program? So we've been trying to do ways to, to gather that feedback and those metrics, but there's nothing tangible right now that we can say, you know, people are reporting 50% more or 50% less after they took the training. That's, that's, I'm almost wanting to take the reporting data and separate it out from training and yeah.
2: Yeah. kind yeah. of
1: find out,
0: did you know about ethics and compliance before you took this training? What did you learn after taking this training? Did you learn something new after you took this training? So it's asking the questions in a different way and proving that in, in different kind of data. So we've been starting to get feedback and asking it. And we've been doing surveys but now we just have to figure out what to do with all of this data now that we've collected it.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, and to keep and to keep it going, right? Like, so I love this. It's like um, separate. So you mentioned it before. Like they'll take the test and then you ask them the question. Well, so you need to yeah. ask them the questions separate from the training, and and I think continuously get it. So you continually ask so that you can show change over time. Uh, so Absolutely. Right, right. So there's no short term way and and uh, I what I pulled from some of the uh, how to build defensible program stuff is basically you have to what's defensible is showing that what you're doing helps it, it, why you think that that will be help prevent problems and then measure that right It's not about mm-hmm. covering your ass. it's like we think this is a good way here's why and here's the measurements associated with it which is sounds like yeah. the path that you're on.
0: Yep. That's my ultimate, I think that's our ultimate goal, not just mine personally, but like all of our team is, we want to be able to show that training is effective, but it can't just be you take it and it's a one and done kind of thing, right? It's, it's an ongoing perpetual kind of thing. The only way that you can really show that something is effective is you take training and six months from now, we come back and we ask you the same questions. Did your answers change? Did you actually remember what you were taught or is it, I mean, cause again, if I had a nickel for every time I heard the phrase, I wasn't taught that in training, I could retire, you know? Yeah. So it's not, we can't expect you to go through it once and then just automatically remember it going forward. So it's, we refer to it as those drips. How do we drip that information on a consistent basis? So that way you always know. Where to go or who to talk to. And that's, again, where we can try and drive it back to our main hub of we want you to be able to come, be comfortable coming here, not just when you need help, but just on a regular basis, know where to go.
2: I want to drop in one other thing, and then maybe we, this has gone longer than I think we had intended, but it's been great. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed it, so now I'm really, really here to entertain myself.
1: No, 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 <laughs> Ronnie, and I, I, I judge all podcasts by whether I enjoy them. Oh, good. So we have both enjoyed this.
2: Well, <laughs> a couple couple quick things. Uh, one is uh, to address the idea of getting down to, in your case, baristas, but let's say a field workforce, right, that doesn't have access right. to a computer. I know I've talked with your team um and you, I think you may be at the early stages of this, but uh, about then taking some of these stories that we have and pairing them with facilitator guides and then having mm-hmm. managers uh, essentially play a little short story and then talk about yep. it. Um, and yeah. I present that as an idea for for if you have to have a stand-up meeting or you, you are people in front of a computer. Well, one, the idea you already said, which is use these social collaboration sites, so that's one way to do it because people can access them on their mm-hmm. phone. But the other is that, is, like, give leaders something interesting to show and talk about and then give them sort of a a guide to help them talk about it.
0: Exactly. Some talking points and questions that they can ask. And we actually just recently, this past spring – Um, started to release something similar like that at the store level where the store managers were encouraged to have these conversations with their partners all the way down to barista level and offer to engage in conversation. This is actually something that the stores have been doing for quite some time now. It's been something that Starbucks has been doing, um, shortly after the Philadelphia incident that we had regarding, you know, the unfortunate incident in our store and unconscious bias and all that. So we've really taken a hard look at those kind of concepts and those kind of, um, situations. So it was a nice tie-in for us to come along and say, hey, let's actually bring in something like that with regards to harassment. And how do you prevent harassment in the store? And it's it's not all the way down to harassment. I think I like to call it harassment light, because we don't necessarily... Um, We're not really going super in-depth. We do a very high-level overview of discrimination and harassment and what constitutes those. And then we asked for some conversation and asked for some, you know, talking points and asked for a dialogue. Again, keeping guardrails in place for the store manager to kind of make sure that it doesn't go off track because that's very easy to do. And at the last, you know, page that I say because it was a discussion guide, Talked about avoiding retaliation and how Starbucks doesn't tolerate retaliation for reporting incidences of harassment or discrimination. And so again, reminding our store partners that there is a resource available for them if they feel that they need to report those concerns.
2: So I have my uh, my sort of wrap up question, but uh, which is usually asking you lessons learned and advice for other people. So hold on before I ask the thing that I just sort of asked. Tom, did you have other things you wanted to? Uh, To jump in, you usually have a good site.
1: No, my statement is going to be a question because, Corey, I want to know if we can have you back (laughs) to talk about your work with learnings and entertainment because I'm so fascinated by this thematic program structure you've talked about in your processes. I I frankly want to now take a deep dive into it with how you work with Ronnie to create uh, the campaigns you have with him. So my ask is that can we ask you to come back? Sure.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, yeah, well, we had a we had a ringer because I I heard through the grapevine that you were a broadcast uh, journalism major.
0: Yeah, I do. I have a BA in broadcast journalism. So I like I told Ronnie I wanted to be the next Diane Sawyer, and uh, I don't necessarily know if it turned out that exact way, but definitely utilizing those skills, I would say. And then uh, throughout high school and college, I did professional public speaking. So very very comfortable with kind of this kind of stuff
2: <laughs> oh, that's awesome well okay so would, that would be a good wrap-up I'm gonna still ask you my last question which is sort of like so the, the, we do this podcast to encourage to share stories and encourage others about how to use creative approaches right to, to help people understand that there's ways to do this and there's um, a good rationale behind why these are effective tools so uh, just uh, any any th- last thoughts about what you would encourage others um uh, to do if they wanted to take this sort of approach, any lessons learned thing, you know, things like that.
0: I would say be flexible. Take away. I yeah. think that there are times where these things are definitely going to pay off and it's going to be great, but there also might be times where it doesn't. And you have to acknowledge that and own up to it and say, okay, it didn't work. What's next?
2: Yeah. Try new, try new things. You Don't know? be so and, precious and, about it. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And A lot of that is thankfully under RCECO because he does have the great mindset of, let's throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. And if it doesn't, okay, then we go back to what we were doing beforehand. But why not try something new? And that's where we've really been able to really stretch our creativity and what we're trying to do. And some of it pays (laughs) off, absolutely. Some of it maybe not. And that's okay. We tried it. He's okay with it too. We're still driving conversation though. So even if it doesn't work, it's still creating that dialogue. And he says, great, let's keep it going. What comes next? What do we want to try next? Let's go, you know? And so that's been really encouraging and really, really exciting from a leader standpoint to have somebody really behind us and encouraging us along the way.
1: Well, I'm not going to wrap us up. I'm going to say, I hope you enjoyed this teaser for uh, another podcast that we're going to do with Part one uh, with Corey McDonald, with uh, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman. Corey, I can't thank you enough. This is really just putting my eyes uh, in a a completely different (laughs) set of ways I was not expecting. So thank you for that. Thank you for your innovation. Thank you for your corporation's passion around not simply your mission, but uh, compliance and ethics. So with that, Ronnie, you want to take us home?
2: Hey, thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, Corey. We had a good time. Hope you had a nice listen. See you next time. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.